0: You're listening to The Drop and the Turning, a podcast about music, place, and change, brought to you by Newworks Calgary in partnership with CJSW Campus and Community Radio. My name is Rebecca Bruton. Today I'm speaking with Seth Cardinal Dodging Horse, who is an experimental musician, cultural researcher, and multidisciplinary artist working within performance, printmaking, installation, sound, and film. He grew up eating dirt and exploring the forest on his family's ancestral land on the Satina Nation. In 2014 he and his family were forcibly removed from their homes and land for the construction of the southwest calgary ring road his work explores his family's history and experiences of displacement the music you're hearing is an excerpt from seth's piece isaga ua isu or grandparents from his 2020 release, Dine Songs from Voices on the Rise.
1: My name is Seth Cardinal Dodging Horse, uh, currently 26 years old and I'm an artist and musician. And I think I've been been making art my whole life pretty much since I was like five years old. And I think I started playing music when I was, I think when I was 11 years old and my uncle gave me all of his classic rock. and like metal tapes, cassette tapes from the eighties and seventies. But uh yeah, I'm an artist and yeah, when I think about things outside of those, I think I've my aunt and my uncle were artists and they still are artists, but they indoctrinated me from a very young age to be an artist. So I think I've just always considered myself as someone who it's being likes being creative and is an artist and stuff, but I think, like, my practice right now, it's kind of interesting, because it's kind of, because everything's online right now, and most of the work and things I I do, I like people to experience in person, but that isn't really possible now, so right now I'm just learning how to use the internet for, you know, to show work and show art and everything and do performances online and stuff and yeah I think for the beginning part of the pandemic I didn't really have a practice in the way of uh felt like the world was ending so it didn't really feel that important to be making art and everything but over the past few months I've been as the world is kind of adapting to everything and stuff so been kind of like catching up on a lot of work and i feel like i went i wasn't doing very much for quite a few months and then out of the blue uh everyone kind of got organized and these shows that i had planned ended up i don't know i feel like everything kind of like hit me in the face of where i started doing something one month and Now it's been a couple months of just working and planning on a lot of stuff, but yeah, I think with my practice right now, it's uh, pretty busy, but it also doesn't feel that busy because I don't leave my house except to get groceries, but yeah.
0: (laughs) For anyone just tuning in, my name is Rebecca Bruton, and this is The Drop and the Turning. What you're listening to is my interview with Seth Cardinal Dodging Horse, who is an interdisciplinary artist based on the Sutina Nation. You mentioned that it's challenging for you to conceive of your practice in online modes. And I'm curious about what the difference is for you as well as the meaningfulness of having somebody experiencing your work in person?
1: Yeah, I feel I feel like with uh, like experiencing, usually the stuff that I make, I if people are able to because a lot of galleries are inaccessible and a lot of people aren't very interested in going to galleries, so it's like there's kind of a specific audience and the nice thing with everything being online right now is that uh, you know if you have a computer or a phone um, you can interact and view things online and stuff and I think that's something that I've been thinking a lot about in the way of uh, having like things translate to being online versus like uh, like if I have an object or something that I've made. And when people see it in person, you know, it's like a 3D object and people can move around it or I can kind of control how people view it and do all those things with like an installation or something. And uh, having things online, I can't really build an installation or like, you know, 3D space in the way that people would be able to interact with it before. So it's kind of uh, trying to figure out how to make it interesting being online as well because i think with the be when the pandemic first started there was a lot of things moving online and there's a lot of shows online and stuff and uh you know i think after a while i kind of got burnt out from uh getting i didn't really go to a lot of them because i i don't know i have a hard time with the internet but as having a hard time being interested in wanting to attend a lot of these things and just dealing with the pandemic and stuff. And, you know, it's very different watching a band play an online show versus seeing a band in person. So I think with my art and having to make it online is trying to like think of how to make it interesting for people and also interesting for myself. Cause I always like to do things that are interesting to me and I think if I can get myself excited about something then I can get other people excited so yeah it's been it's been a lot of learning but I don't it's nice actually I enjoy doing it even though it's difficult
0: so as I've been getting ready to interview you I've been trying to look through both your social media and then as well as the documentation and writing on your work that's available online. And one of the common pathways through, because you work in a number of different mediums, I've noticed that there's a through line in your relationship to the land that you grew up on. And I'm wondering if you can describe for me the first moment you remember feeling a strong sense of connection to a natural place or to the more than human or other than human world?
1: Okay. That's a good question. Um, I think like in the case of my family's land, um, uh like I grew up on my family's land on Sutana and all of my memories of being a child up until my up until I turned twenty and we had to move um all have to do with just like memories of playing with my family outside and uh I think like a memory that really stands out for me is um, growing up there, we had horses, um, and so we had to make sure our land was fenced in, and we had a pretty big stretch of land, and uh, my uncle used to visit. Uh, my mom's brother would visit, and um, every day, or not every day, but um, every like couple days, depending on the weather. In the summer, he'd come over A couple times a week. If it was the winter, he'd come over like on the weekend um, when he didn't have work, but what we would do. And I can remember from a very early age of uh, From very early ages, he would take me and we would check our fence line to make sure there weren't any holes so the horses could get out or um, To make sure that the fence was maintained. So I just have a lot of memories of walking through the land and checking the fence with my uncle and finding where a tree fell down and repairing the fence. And, uh, while doing that, my uncle would, uh, share stories with me and tell me stories about our family history and tell me about his own memories of being a kid and playing and doing the same thing, checking the fence. And so I just have like a lot of memories of going through the land and fixing our fence and learning about different trails and finding uh, like berries, like uh, wild strawberries on the ground and animals, all kinds of things. And uh, it was really nice to have my uncle be there and um, help me understand all of that. And uh, it was really nice because it was just like this feeling of belonging with the area and with the land as well. And uh, yeah, I think, that's something that I've been thinking a lot about lately was uh, just that feeling of security and, uh, you know, understanding the history that comes with living on that land and everything. But yeah, those are kind of the memories. There's just like these, I'm not a very good painter, but maybe someday I'll start painting, but it's just these very vivid images of like, uh, you know, an old wooden, fence posts that's like shaped like a cylinder and uh, using horseshoe shaped nails and fixing the barbed wire fence and like knocking them into the wood but like the grass below um like that's below our feet and our knees that we kneeled against is just like very green and like it being very moist outside and it's just like very Idyllic, but it, it's also something that I think about. That I've thought about where I'm like, is it idyllic because I'm feeling nostalgic about it and everything. But then when I look at actual photographs of the land there and everything, it you know it looked like a Studio Ghibli movie with the you know how big and how green all the trees and how green the grass was and everything. Yeah, and and then I think with um, with the land uh all of the art that i've been making since i went to art school has uh dealt with um dealt with uh either telling my own memories or my family's memories of the land and a lot of it is about like honoring and remembering the land but also like communicating uh those memories of the land to others so that they're not lost
0: I'm wondering, do you still, even though that land, you were forced to leave it, and it's drastically different now, do you still feel a connection to that area and that land base?
1: Uh, yeah, I I definitely do. Um, I think because we moved for, we were displaced by the ring road in 2014. And then uh, we were forced to move. And then I think for two or three years, I never visited that plot of land. Um, There was a couple times that, uh, like um, before, like before it's, it's, it's very like complicated, but also, also not, not really that complicated in the way of, uh, so kind of like the timeline is 2014, my family moved and the Tsutina nation had talked about how, um, none of the trees in that area the land wouldn't be destroyed and affected. But then in 2016, there was the day where, um, me and my family were, my mom was dropping me off at school. I think I was in my second second year at ACAD, and uh, uh, my mom was going to drop me off at school, and I just remember as we were going by, we looked, and the area where my family's land was, and still is, and these other parts of the reserve on Sutana, the trees were all gone, like. Went from being like a place where you couldn't see the sky very clearly because the trees were in the way to just like this open wide space where you could see the blue sky. Um, And That was in 2016 and uh, So even to this day, in order to go into Calgary, um, from where I live on Sutana right now I have to passed by where we used to live. So it was very intense to have to see like all of these changes um, happen and progress over the years and um, like my connection to that land is still there and uh, like it'll never go away. And there was like a lot of um, things with like reacting to it with like PTSD and all this, where initially I was, um, where there was like, I remember there was like times where I just like didn't really think about it and tried to block it out, and like kind of, I could still feel myself like very feeling very connected to there and everything. But I felt that I had to like let it go and everything. But then after a bit, I kind of realized that uh, you know, with colonialism and everything, uh, you know, if that's kind of like what colonialism wants me to do is it wants me to lose the connection to my family's history and my family's land. And so I kind of continued to make more art about it because I wanted that connection to always be there, even if it was, uh, difficult and painful, but I still do feel connected to it. And, uh, yeah, I'm still, uh, continuing to like make art and also not even just make art outside of making art as a person just um be connected to it and also find ways to you know hopefully get the land back in the future so yeah a lot to figure out but i still am very connected to that land and always will be hopefully
0: um thank you for talking about that I have a question that I didn't really plan out beforehand, and it might not make sense. So if it doesn't make any sense to you, then you can tell me that. (laughs) Um, But I'll just see if I can work my way through it. Um, Something that I was sort of, as you were speaking, I was thinking about the ideas... I've read about when I've been reading about both grief and trauma and the idea of grief time or trauma time as places where time is suspended in some way um, because of how memory works. And something that sort of floated into my mind as you were speaking is the ways that, through your artwork, you're putting the land in different time senses. Um, because you're, you're sharing it in your own memory, and then you're giving it to those of us who receive your artwork, then we're also holding small pieces of it in our own memories and time senses and place senses. And I'm just I'm curious if for you, if there's a feeling of locating the land in different time places or embodied memories or ancestral memories, um, both inside and outside of yourself.
1: Yeah, no, that question makes sense. I think, I think with like, I think with my connection to the land and everything, um, like it's, it's not also just my connection to the land. It's also like my uncles, my moms, my aunties. Like it's, you know, it's my family's connection as well. Cause uh, it's kind of like going back to when I check the fence with my uncle. And my Uncle would tell me a story about like, uh, like a certain area of the land, or, um, and he'd share stories with me. Sometimes he'd tell me a story about my grandma, who's his mom, or he'd tell me a story about my mom out on the land, and those things. And then, so when he shares those those family memories, also become like they also become a memory for me as well. So it's like all of these memories and time and all of this stuff because my family would share these stories with me. They're, they're also uh, like a part of my own memory and we're all connected to it in that way and everything. And um, so I think like when I have been making art, I, I like to focus on certain memories. So And a lot of my memories are also kind of specific. So it's like, if I have a memory that happens, that's a memory from 2016, then I know in 2016, the trees were chopped down. So I kind of, like, I've done a painting where I represented um, the land in 2016 where there was no trees. And uh, so I definitely do, I like to capture all of those very specific memories that I have. And I think that's also a way to like help preserve them for like my family and like my younger cousins and like my younger relatives and uh, to also help them understand like the connection I had with that land and our family did. Um, Especially like my younger relatives who didn't get to experience the land at all and everything. And, I think it's important that um, either in my art or how and I share stories with them, that they're able to uh, kind of understand that, you know, that's why I, I'm i the way I am because I grew up there and that's why, you know, their parents and grandparents and all of us are the way we are is because we live there and that's why, you know, it's how we understand the world and everything, having... Uh, all experienced our childhoods there and uh, like I'm 26 right now but um, I've just I've always been really interested in like my childhood and everything and uh, kind of a a lot of time my earlier art was really focusing on my childhood but now I'm like 26 and that's like not old at all but I'm starting to make art about like my memories from when I was 20 and 21 and stuff. And how those memories are also as important as the ones that I had growing up. And yeah, I think it's important for me to make sure that, um, like I work with all of these specific memories and kind of, uh, like, I I love time travel movies and things that have to do with time travel. And uh, so I just love this idea that um, either with certain objects or certain words or, you know, very specific things that you can like kind of go back in time for a bit and experience something. So that's something that has always been on my mind when I make art is it's kind of a, At least for myself, like it doesn't, I think if people see my art, they, you know, they're definitely, they don't have my memories and my experiences. So I don't think they'll uh, experience it in the same way I would or my family would, but I think that uh, if it can get someone to kind of want to understand what I'm trying to communicate a bit more, then that's something that's important to me i uh i kind of don't understand artists that are uh i don't know there's there's artists out there that are kind of like you know they make something for themselves and then uh they don't really care what anyone thinks about it or you know they're like i'm not making this art for other people and stuff and but in a way that i feel like with my art i I like making whatever i want to make but i think I definitely also really consider who views it and looks at it and kind of how they begin to understand me or understand my family. And I think that they're also important that, uh, you know, whoever looks at my art is also kind of, uh, kind of like taken coming along for the ride with me and stuff. But, yeah. That's a good question. I, uh, yeah. Like if I had a time machine or something, I would make, I don't know. I, I think even, I definitely thought about things for like, I don't know, art making and stuff where it's like when my family was moving, I'm like, uh, cause when my family was moving, I remember I had a VHS camera and, I remember I really wanted to like record the inside of the house and record us packing up and I knew it would be meaningful, but for some reason I had a, I just had like this block where I couldn't bring out the camera and record. And so sometimes I kind of have moments where I'm like, Oh man, I wish I recorded that or I wish I recorded this, but I guess art is kind of like a time machine in the way where I'm like, Oh, well I can like, recreate that or recreate that feeling or recreate that memory, but like in a different way. But, uh, you know, even though I didn't get to make that thing at that time or like do this thing at the time, like I can make it now and I can say these things that I wanted to say back then, but I could say them now and all that. But yeah.
0: (laughs) Something that I've noticed when you talk about your work, is that you frequently mention your family members, particularly your mother and your grandmother. And I'm wondering if you can share a bit about the ways that your family supports you and or collaborates with you directly in the various projects you're working on.
1: Sure. Yeah. Uh, so with my mom um let's see <laughs> i every everyone in my family is super creative in different ways and everything and um me and my mom in the past i guess almost two years now we've been making art together and uh so we've been collaborating uh we currently have a show that's up at a. Uh, in Montreal at Articule. I think it'll be coming down on the 21st though but uh, it's been really nice because me and my mom you know we've had the same experience of uh, we were living uh, together in my family's house when uh, we moved and everything so because we've had the same experience it's like really nice to have someone to to has your back and everything and uh, it's great because my mom supports me and The art we make together and in the art i make on my own and everything and uh my grandma does as well um my grandma was also displaced um with me and my mom and my little sibling and also my grandpa there was i think like five or six of us that were living together at the time and uh my grandma so my grandma's really important to me because uh my mom and my grandma raised me and uh, they raised me on the land where the ring road is. And I grew up with uh, my mom, Glenna Cardinal and my grandma Ethel Jacobs or Insutina uh, Isu is how you say grandma. So I was calling my Isu. Um, but yeah, even when I was in art school and I just started in art school and I needed photos or like I wanted to take photos or, I needed help with anything i'd like ask my family i'd be like can i take a picture of you for like my art piece and my family's (laughs) they're all creative and funky in their own ways so they're like yeah like they're i don't think i ever had any resistance that was like i think even when i wanted to start playing guitar or something like uh i never had any resistance from family members telling me not to be creative or anything which was really nice i know uh Quite a few people don't get that experience, but I was really blessed to have um, my mom and my grandma always support any of the strange ideas I had. And uh, so like my grandma appears in a lot of uh, recent photos and earlier photos um, that I've taken and also some video pieces. And uh, um, it's really nice because my, my uh, grandma has uh i think she's going to be 75 this year i got to double check Oop, i might get in trouble now if she listens to this and she's like i'm i'm not going to be 76 <laughs> but uh, but um yeah my grandma is great cuz she uh, cuz she lived on that land so long and she has like such a connection to it that it's Really nice to she, the nice thing right now is like I grew up living with her and right now she just lives in the house next door to mine and uh so and because of the pandemic I like don't see anyone she doesn't see anyone so my grandma's in my nice in my pod so it's really nice so uh it's I always love hearing her stories of the land and her memories of growing up there and everything and then that inspires a lot of the art I make and uh so I've, I've done a few recent pieces where I've recorded her voice um for some audio and sound work and uh yeah I'm I'm excited to continue to collaborate with my grandma but I think that's probably the best thing is having like my mom and my grandma always support me and uh uh like I've I think it's also really powerful because having grown up on that land and my grandma having grown up on that land um, and my grandma having shared so many stories with me and so much of our history that uh, it feels really special to continue to preserve those things. And I always like double check with her uh, uh, if she feels comfortable with things and stuff. So I, I, I don't do, I never do anything to, make my grandma uncomfortable even if i'm mm-hmm. saying something political about the ring road and stuff she's always supporting me speaking up and stuff so yeah she's the best
0: <laughs> so one project i'm really curious about is i know that you as well as some of your family members you worked with the artist Jin Mi Yoon from vancouver um And I'm wondering if you can talk about what was involved with that project. Um, I know it took place over a number of years. So I'm just curious about that.
1: Yeah. um, So kind of how that got started was, I think, two or three summers ago now, um, Jin Myoon was looking for a site to film uh, for like an upcoming work she was developing at the time, and uh, uh, I somehow got um, recommended by some folks at MST to uh, show Jimmy some of the sites, and uh, so like a portion of the Sutina Reserve was leased to the Army for, I think, like a nine. 90- I think it was a 99-year lease, but it was leased for a really long time to the Canadian Army. And uh, I think in 2004, 2005, I can't remember, but I, was, uh, I think I was like maybe eight or nine years old when the Army left the reserve. So they were still there when I was growing up. But I think at that time... Around that time, they left in the early 2000s, and uh, so Jinmi was really interested in the history of militarism as well as tourism and all that stuff and so i uh I got to meet Jinmi, and I suggested that there i I told her that there was uh that they filmed the movie Passchendaele with uh, I think it's Paul Gross. Uh, filmed his movie Passchendaele like up the hill from where he grew up, and that movie set uh is still on the reserve and I think there was talks on the reserve at some point to turn it into like you know a place for tourists to come and look at the movie set and everything and I think that all fell through, and the movie set is still there, but it hasn't been maintained, so a lot of it has fallen over. It looks really cool though. And so I took jinni there and uh, she loved it and then decided that she wanted to film there. And uh, she got to meet my family and hang out with us for like, I think two summers in a row, two, three. I can't really remember time anymore, but for like a couple summers, she came out to film and uh, spent a lot of time with my family. And I I ended up being, creating some sound pieces Um, with her son Hannah who's super cool Uh, we created some sound art for her videos and uh, that ended up evolving and becoming her work that uh, was installed at Truck Gallery recently in the fall Um, Untunneling Vision and yeah that that just happened pretty naturally where we uh, met and then uh, we got along well and kind of in our family history we have a lot of these like interesting connections that we didn't expect and uh, it was it was a really fun and very involving experience and uh, yeah I, I have a lot of memories from working on that project and it was pretty unexpected because i didn't i wasn't really planning or I, I feel like with most of the things i'm involved with i don't really intend or plan to do quite a few of them and they just naturally happen out of nowhere so it was a lot of fun yeah
0: so you mentioned that you made some recordings with jinmi's son um so i'm just going to lead into this question i have about the in november 2020 you released a record of processed field recordings I don't know how to pronounce this word. Uh, can you pronounce it for me or teach me how to pronounce it? Nazchij?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, um, It's <laughs> kind of difficult. It's like Nazchij.
0: Nazchij. Yeah. Uh, Thank you.
1: I may be even saying it wrong. I got to ask my grandpa again.
0: Oh, what language is that?
1: That's... Uh, Suit, no.
0: Okay. So, um, I listened through that album and I feel that there's a very clear, highly sensitive and intentional way that you've, you've either processed the sounds or added additional music and sounds to the original recordings. Um, what inspired this project, and what were some of the methods that you used when composing and engineering the pieces?
1: Uh, so I've I've been collecting a lot of different tape machines and reel-to-reel recorders and stuff, and uh, so everything I recorded is all I record with is all analog, and uh, um, so with that one, I feel like. That, a lot of those were like experiments of like how could I like mess around with tape, and how, uh, and also like the spaces I was in. So some of them was I would just take like a, a little boombox tape recorder and record uh, driving from one like hit record and I drive from one side of the ring roads construction to the other side. And uh, I remember when I was originally doing that, I was thinking of like. Uh, You know, how can I make people know where, like, if you're listening to the audio track, uh, when the audio reaches the point at which they're driving by where I used to live and then leaving it, then how can I make people know that? So I remember I originally wanted to, like, overdub or add a recording of, like, I don't know, some other type of sound to signify that, and uh, I, I didn't end up doing that. I just ended up having that track and then adding some like dreamy layered guitar textures that I had um and then some of the other songs I think there's the two songs that are on there that uh, I think they're the longest ones and they're mostly just like guitar or one sounds like a furnace or like a sounds like a tea kettle kind of rising but with that one um Uh, I just remember I I was trying to think of how I could use the sounds that my house made as an instrument so I was like setting up the microphone um, like micing the furnace in my house and trying to mic uh, from the basement like the uh, ceiling in the basement For if I walked around upstairs you could hear that but all of it ended up kind of becoming uh, I ended up messing around with everything. So it just kind of became like playing like the tape at a half speed or like adding like a fuzz pedal to like someone talking things. So it ended up just becoming things that were really textural and, uh, ambient. And I remember that was just like a time where I was kind of like thinking it in my art, like visual art, like as like, okay, if I wanted to communicate that I'm upset about the ring road, uh, instead of doing something that like would make people have to think for a bit and then realize that what it's about, I'll just like write like the ring road sucks or something. So then I was, I was trying to think of how to do that with my sound art. And uh, I think I did the opposite where I ended up kind of burying a lot of things and different sounds and layers. And uh, so I, I had those laying around for quite a while and, I wasn't really too sure if I was ever going to release those for anyone to listen to and everything. But with the pandemic, uh, I had quite a bit of time to go through a lot of the recordings that I made and kind of like plan to like put out little releases. And uh, I remember I was like, I, I had kind of like worked it up in my head because um, my band Soft Cure, uh, we changed our name to Lawrence Teeth, but we, uh, we're known as soft cure for quite a bit and we're playing around Calgary and everything. And I remember, uh, I put something out in 2015 and then I didn't put any music out until like the beginning of the pandemic. And I remember I'd kind of got into a place in my head where I was like, had made so many recordings and things that I kind of got overwhelmed and I was like, I don't know how to put anything out right now. And it's been so many years, uh, I, like, these are things that I enjoy that I made, but I don't really know if anyone will want to listen to them and stuff. And I don't know, just, like, thinking about a lot of those, like, very, like, ego questions where it's, like, you know, you know, that thing where you, like, either art or music, where you're, like, dang, like, if I didn't know, if I thought people weren't going to look at this, would I still make this? Or if I didn't think people were going to listen to this, why don't I just, like, not put it out and stuff? And so... Uh, I kind of like got overthinking stuff like that and then ended up putting that out. And, uh, yeah, that I feel like it was just like a lot of like mental work and like working through a lot of like, uh, uh, a lot of like my own self pressure that I put on myself. And also just, I think I was overthinking it too Whereas like, I recorded all these sounds at my house and, uh, of the land where the ring road is uh, you know I just really want to clearly communicate these things to people but I ended up making very ambient and uh, noisy songs that kind of do the opposite of that but I think I, I put it out online and now I feel happy that I don't have to think about all that as much anymore so
0: Ha Hello, listeners. For anyone just tuning in, my name is Rebecca Bruton, and you're listening to my interview with Seth Cardinal Dodging Horse. The music you just heard was an excerpt from one of Seth's pieces the last day in our house from his 2020 release the southwest calgary ring road i've been thinking a lot when i've been looking at your different forms of work about i about documentation documentation memory and and then interpretations of those the role of the documentarian um or recordist and i know you've been working on a postcard series and releasing these postcards that feature photographs of your family at the current ring road site as well as your own writing about this site and the events surrounding construction um i'm curious about how does using sound to connect to that place so the the ring road constructed area connect you in a different way than using images or writing to describe and capture that
1: mm. so i think i think with like sound recently i've been thinking more about like um and i think Also just like, uh, some of the music that I've been making for the past while, I guess is like more like pop oriented or, uh, more like typical music, like verse, chorus and all that. And, uh, so like the sound art I've been making, uh, where oftentimes it doesn't have lyrics or if it does have a voice, um, one of the newer things I've made was, um, my mom wrote this uh, kind of poem or manifesto that was called New Agency. And it's this text piece and it kind of describes uh, like rejecting ideas of like the Indian Act and like colonialism and Indian Act uh, chief and councils which uh, are a colonial system. Like when it comes to Treaty 7, our Indian Act, our uh, chief and councils were created and they uphold and enforce the Indian Act. It's not a traditional system. So my mom wrote this like powerful uh, text piece that like describes the negative things of that and then describes like a future that also embraces the past and like moves forward. And uh, so with that audio piece, um, I recorded my mom reading her poem Usually she doesn't like having her voice recorded uh, i I know like most people when you hear your voice after it's recorded, you're like're you're like, "Oh my God, I can't believe I sound like that like turn it off but i I got to record my mom and she loved how her voice sounded and then I recorded my grandma, uh, I recorded my sibling, my little brother, and then I recorded myself all reading this uh, text piece my mom wrote, and uh I added some. Audio beneath it. And I thought that was like really beautiful and powerful because it's like, you know, my mom's, we're all reading my mom's words that describe, in a way, all of these legal or not so legal things that resulted in us being displaced and forced to move for the ring road. And, but we're also reading at the end, uh, you know her words and it's all of our voices together and I thought that was like one of the most clear and blunt but also like beautiful things that uh I got to work on with my mom but I think with like the sound art with the sound art it uh I had another reason why I was making a lot of art and the sound art was really important was I wanted to record the construction and document it. And in a way I felt like I, I owned like I was in some way, even though necessarily I wasn't, but in a way I was kind of in control of that land still. And uh, in control of the road, like I owned the voice of the road by having this recording of the construction. And by having this recording of the construction, I could manipulate it, the audio and I could take the ring roads voice and, you know do all these things with it that uh you know give power to myself or my family's stories and uh so that that that's kind of like the thinking behind a lot of uh recording the land and also like recording my house because uh the house I currently live in was physically moved uh to a different part of the reserve so it's like my house also has a lot of history of uh you know my house was also moved and doesn't belong where it belongs now you know and so by recording my house and using it as an instrument and controlling and having the voice of the ring road I could mix the two together of my house and the road and uh make something that kind of like dealt with time and all of those things and uh so I felt those were really nice experiences and, uh, I, I'm definitely still, I still want to do work that, uh, where I go out and record the road now and all that. And, uh, I feel like that's also like, uh, it's like a way of healing in a way where being able to, uh, take some of that control back and make something productive that, uh, can like share Mm. some of my perspective and my family's perspective and
0: everything. So you mentioned this work that you did with your mom, the new agency. And because I was thinking through your work as an interdisciplinary artist, I connected this to this, idea about sound from a British sound theorist named David Toop, And he describes something called the mediumship of the listener. And I'm just going to read that quote, and then ask a question around it. So he writes, the intangibility of sound is uncanny, a phenomenal presence in the head, at its point of source and all around. The close listener is like a medium who draws out substance from that which is not entirely there. Um, I was curious if for you having a practice both listening and recording to a specific place at a specific time can shift your agency within and surrounding that place.
1: Yeah, I think Yeah, that's a cool quote. <laughs> I think with um yeah, I think I don't know, sound is such a powerful tool and uh um something I was doing was before was as uh when I went to these museums, I was listening to old Sutina recordings and I was like, wow these are recordings that very few Tsutina people have been able to hear before, but in these recordings of songs, these were songs that you know my grandparents generations ago heard and uh, knew, and this sound, everyone was able to hear this sound, and now uh, very few people have heard these sounds, and I wanna find a way to share these sounds and stuff, and so that's that's something I'm doing, but that kind of idea, uh, like taking agency back with sound and everything and uh so with like with that audio v- uh, piece i described of uh, my family reading my mom's words uh i've been thinking of ways of how to like use that art or that that uh sound piece that art and use it to uh you know <laughs> take agency back so it's like thinking of things of how to like how to broadcast on the ring that audio on the ring road so uh yeah that's like future projects like uh yeah like i don't know just finding different ways to take back the land until i can actually take it back you know so yeah i think it'd be really cool if I feel like if as a villain right now, I would like hijack the airwaves and the hijack all the radio signals and just like play that audio recording of my family, like declaring this new <laughs> proclamation of, <laughs> you know, how to uh, let go of all these older things that, uh, like we don't need and take, take back and, uh, move forward, but bring back all the older things that, uh, have been dormant so that that's what i would do right now <laughs> i was a villain and i had the power to do that but i gotta through art i gotta find other ways to uh, do that and uh i don't know if you like through art if you like through art especially if you like have the show in the gallery and stuff you can uh, kind of be not necessarily be a villain but you can kind of like you know people go into the gallery then like you have like an audio that's looped and it's, like they can kind of they can choose not to go in that room or they if they choose to go in that room then they're like listening to whatever you want them to listen to so yeah I think I think sound is a powerful tool that has been used in a lot of terrible ways as well and stuff but I think it can be used as a way to you know assert sovereignty and find new ways to challenge all of the stuff that's going on in the world.
0: You've been listening to The Drop and the Turning, a new podcast brought to you in partnership between New Calgary and CJSW Campus and Community Radio. The Drop and and the turning is produced on occupied land. In the spirit of respect, reciprocity and truth, I honour and acknowledge that I live and create as an uninvited guest here at Mokinstis. Mokinstus, where the Bow and Elbow Rivers converge, sits within Treaty 7, signed with varying degrees of good faith on September 22, 1877 which encompasses the traditional territory and oral practices of the Blackfoot Confederacy, Siksika, Kainai, Pikani, as well as the Stony Nakoda and Sutina nations. I acknowledge this territory is also home to the Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3, within the historical Northwest Métis homeland. I seek to liberate truth, and work in solidarity toward decolonization and equal nationhood of all indigenous peoples. The music you just heard was Niska Gudzaga, or Crocus, by Seth Cardinal Dodging Horse.